This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul had just finishing talking about the armor of God. And in verse 19, he says, As for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I think that that one single simple statement by Paul gives us a tremendous insight into the heart and mind and the thinking of this great apostle. Reveals to us an attitude, a mindset that all of us should emulate. Paul never allowed where he was to dictate who he was. He never allowed where he was to dictate who he was. We find ourselves in all kinds of situations, many times not of our own making. But what do we do in those situations? Do we let that dictate who we are, depending on where we are? Paul didn't. Where was he? In bonds in chains. Who was he? An ambassador. They may have changed his hands, but they couldn't chain his heart. They may take him prisoner, but they could not make him prisoner. He was in prison many times, but never once did the prison get in him. In chains, yes, but always an ambassador in bonds. In prison many times, but always he called himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Never once did he say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Throw Bunyan in jail, and he will give you pilgrim's progress. Take Melton's sight away, and he'll write Paradise Lost. Make Beethoven deaf, and he'll give you a Ninth Symphony. Make Edison deaf, and he'll give you the phonograph and the microphone and the movies and a thousand other things. Make Edison deaf, and he'll do all of that. Make a man play in an obscure South American orchestra, make him play second fiddle, <coughs> and you'll get a Toscanini. <laughs> Cripple him, and you'll have a Walter Scott. Have him born in poverty, you'll get an Abraham Lincoln, one of America's greatest presidents. All of them were ambassadors 
but all of them were in bonds. They did not let where they were dictate who they were. And that's what we ought to be like also. <coughs> put Joseph in a pit, put David in a cave, make John a prisoner in Patmos, put Daniel in a den, put the three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace, exile Ezekiel to Babylon, take some saints and put them into Caesar's household. And what do you get? You'll get ambassadors, even though they're in bonds. Paul's great secret was because he knew who he was in Christ. That was his strength. That was his power. That's what kept him going when everybody else was failing. He knew who he was in Christ. Whether that was before King Agrippa or Festus the governor or Felix the governor, whether that was Sergius Paulus or whether that was the Philippian jailer, none of that allowed him to dictate who he was. So what I'm saying tonight is all of us will find ourselves in situations that we didn't ask for, that we didn't desire, we didn't want, but we find ourselves in those situations and we have to make sure we don't allow that to dictate who we are because of where we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul writes here, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is a representative. He represents his country, he represents his king or his queen or his president. He's been sent especially to a foreign nation to be the chief representative. And because he's a representative, he is also a reflection on his king or his king or his queen or his president. He has to reflect who they are and what his government is and what his nation is like. That's his job. He's got responsibilities. Privilege gives us responsibilities. Privilege puts us in a place of responsibility. And we can't shirk it. We're in a privileged position. We are privileged tonight because we are Christians. Amen. It's a high privilege to be a believer in Christ. But that gives us tremendous responsibility because we suddenly now are representatives of Christ. We reflect <laughs> Christ to this godless dying world. An ambassador has resources. Whom God places, he graces. Every ambassador and every nation in the world has got resources to do the job. 
And if he's running short on resources, all he's got to do is make a call to his country and to his king or his president or his queen, and resources will be available. You and I have been given resources to be representatives, to be ambassadors for Christ. He must be a citizen of the country that he represents. That's obvious, isn't it? And you and I are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We're citizens of God's kingdom. We belong to God's kingdom. We have been endowed with many privileges and honors because we are in his kingdom. An ambassador must know the mind and the will of his master. Just within this past few days, America has elected a new president. And I can imagine all over the world in every American embassy, there will be ambassadors wondering, what is this man going to do? What is he really like? What laws will he enact? Because they have eight years of a president. So they knew what he wanted. They knew what he thought. They knew what he was like. But suddenly everything changes in a stroke. Some of them will keep their jobs. Some of them will be sent home again. Others will fill their places. But all of them, whether they've been at it for years or whether they just knew, all of them has got to know the mind of their president. They've got to know what laws he will enact, what changes he will make. We need to know the mind of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ, but do we know the mind of Christ? We need to know what Christ thinks, what his thoughts are, what his attitudes are, what his actions are. The ambassador must be able to communicate to a people of a foreign land. See, when an ambassador takes up his post, particularly to a nation that he doesn't know anything about, he's got to learn very quickly how these people think. What is their culture? I don't mean their physical language. It's helpful if you can learn that. But what is their culture? What is their mindset? What is their worldview? How do they live? He's got to find that out. If he's going to communicate to those people in that land and he's going to meet with their representatives and their leaders. He's got to know what makes them tick. He's got to find out. And if we are representatives of Christ in this world that we live in, we've got to know what the world's thinking about. We've got to know their worldview. We've got to know their mindset. We've got to know that. So we need to keep up to speed. What are the trends? What's happening today? What way is the world thinking today? What is, what is trending as it says in the, in the social media. What's trending today? What's happening around the world? We need to know these things because we are God's representatives. So we need to be able to communicate with the world around us, with the people you work with, with the people you live beside. We need to communicate with those in university or college or school because we are ambassadors for Christ. What is the mission of an ambassador? Reconciliation. We read it together there in 2 Corinthians 5. Now listen. God has already reconciled himself to man through what Christ has done on the cross. The problem is man's not reconciled to God. God has already reconciled himself 
to man. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Colossians 2.14, having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 3.17 of John, we know 3.16, 3.17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God has done everything that he possibly could do. There's nothing more he can do to reconcile men unto himself. He has done all that he can do, but we need to be able to get men to reconcile to him, and that's our job. That's what we're to do. This is where we come in. Verse 18 says, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What a joy it is if you've ever had the privilege of leading somebody to Christ. And at that moment, after maybe years, you see that person reconciled to God. God had already reconciled himself to them. But they would have been lost and gone to hell if they hadn't been reconciled to him. And if you have had a part in that, what a privilege that is to see somebody reconciled to God. You and I were reconciled to God. One day we bent the knee, metaphorically speaking. One day we prayed that prayer and came to God in repentance and believed in the work of the cross that his son did. And because of that, we were reconciled to God. That's the mission of an ambassador for Christ to reconcile men and women to God. And somewhere along the, the journey of somebody's life, maybe you've had a part to play in that. Maybe you've <coughs> spoken at some time. Maybe you have shared a word. Maybe you have been the one who's been praying behind the scenes. Maybe you're the one that gave that little booklet or spoke a word in season. And maybe it wasn't you that reaped that harvest, but you were the one who sowed and God did the watering. And so all of us has got a mission to reconcile men to God. And what is the message of an ambassador? Verse 18, and God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have a message. We have a word of reconciliation. In Philippians chapter 2, if I may read from verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Holding fast the word of life. This is the word of reconciliation. God has giving us, given us a word to share. And it's a life-giving word. 
It's the word that changes men's lives. This is the gospel. This is God's own word. This is the very word of God. This is the knowledge and understanding of our Christian belief. We have a word to share. We have a word of reconciliation to give. Never underestimate the power of that word. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And you're representing your king. And when you share his word, never underestimate the power of what that can do. Sometimes you may, it may be what you think is a throwaway comment. You just share a scripture in passing, but that can get into the heart. That can be sown deep into the very spirit and can transform a life. And that's why your testimony is important because you're giving glory to God. You're lifting up Jesus for what he's done for your life. Now, Paul says, depending on your version or translation of your Bible, he says either hold forth or hold fast or hold on to the word of life. And this is two meanings. And one is the natural outcome and consequence of the other. And both are important in our lives. Holding forth simply means to hold out, to hold forth. <coughs> Holding fast means to hold on to, to hold fast. The New Living Bible puts it this way, hold tightly to the word of life. The NIV, as you hold out the word of life, the Amplified, holding out or to it and offering to all men the word of life. The King James, holding forth the word of life. The Weymouth New Testament, holding out to them a message of life. Moffat's New Translation, hold fast the word of life. The ESV, some of you use that, holding fast to the word of life. Vincent's New Testament word studies, the verb means to hold upon, to apply, to fix attention upon. Whenever Peter and John was going up to the temple and they were going through the gate beautiful and the beggar asked for alms, the first thing Peter said was, look on us, give us your attention. I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to do something for you. But look at us. Fix your eyes on us. That's what he was saying. And so this certainly means to apply, to fix attention upon the word of life, the word of reconciliation, the word of God. We have got a message to give. And if we can get people's attention, if we can get them, as it were, to look at us, then we can deliver that message. Sometimes you maybe only have a few minutes to do that. Sometimes it may be over a period of time where you have made friendship, but they're looking at you and they're listening for what you're going to say. And thank God you have something to say. You've got a message from the king to deliver. You've got a word that you can hold forth. You've got a message of reconciliation. We are the only ones that is light in a world that is very, very dark. In a world that is increasingly becoming darker by the day. But we have got a light. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. And what a difference one light can make in a dark room, can't it? If we put all the lights out in this room and somebody just lit one match, 
It's amazing the light we would have with that one match. But every one of us held up a match, we'd have lots of light. So we're the ones with the light in a dark world. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. But let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Glory to God. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I am the light. But then he says, you are the light. So we reflect his light. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, so we reflect the light of the Son of God. We're the ones who has the truth in the world that's crooked and the world that's deceived. This world system is crooked and corrupt. And this word that you hold in your hand tonight, this is the yardstick. This is the plumb line. This is how everything is measured. Everything in this world we need to measure by the word of God. And if it doesn't stand up to the word of God, then we do not accept it or believe it. And this is how the world is deceived. No wonder Satan wants to do away with the word of God because this is the yardstick. <laughs> you know, you asked an atheist today, well, how did morality come about? And they'll give you all kinds of stupid answers. Well, that was to do with social engineering. It was to do with behavioral patterns when you were growing up and all of this. But where did it originate? How did that start? They will not admit that God did this. They will not admit that our morality comes from God. They just will not admit that. But where else would it come from? It can't come from anywhere else. There's got to be a lawgiver before we can have a law. There's got to be a moral standard giver because we can have morals. How else are we going to measure it and weigh it? Imagine if our government today, if their yardstick was the Word of God. Imagine. Imagine if the television today, imagine if the BBC's only yardstick was the Word of God. There'd be a lot less programs, and that's for sure, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be able to sit up at 12 o'clock watching it because there'd hardly be any on unless they produced a lot of new ones. But that's the reality. So much of it is not based on this yardstick. Think how different India would be without Hinduism. Think how different Japan would be without Shintoism or China without communism or the Middle East without Islam. If it was only the word of God was the yardstick, the world would be a far different place. And one day, that's what's going to be. One day, that's what's going to happen. One day, Christ will come and he will rule and he will reign by his word. And the whole world will accept it because they will have no other choice. <laughs> when he comes for his millennial reign, which there's people who does not believe that. That's fair enough. It's up to them, but I believe it. But if he comes in his millennial reign, believe me, he will rule with a rod of iron. His word will have the final say. And so, 
we have a message. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, in the Roman world, Paul was writing, there was two types of provinces, senatorial province and imperial province. The senatorial provinces were countries and areas that had surrendered completely and totally to Rome. They were not resisting, they were not fighting, they were not rebelling, they had totally surrendered. But imperial provinces were different. At any and every opportunity, they would rebel, and they would take up arms, and they would fight in resistance, and they would be in complete rebellion if they got the chance and because of that, Rome would send ambassadors into those imperial provinces in order to try to stop rebellion, in order to try to bring peace, in order to try to stop the havoc and the unrest that was going on, in order to get them to be at peace with Rome. And this world that we live in is an imperial province, as it were. And it's... A, rebellion against God. <laughs> it's resisting God, isn't it? It shakes its puny fist at God, and every opportunity it has to rebel against God, it takes it. So what does God do? He sends ambassadors. Ambassadors to try to make men reconcile to God. Ambassadors to try to get men to be at peace with God rather than to be angry and rebellious against God. And ambassadors for Christ, we are to turn rebels into disciples. Isn't it great when you hear a testimony of somebody who was just an absolutely out-and-out out rebel against God, and then God got a hold of them, and they became disciples. The apostle Paul himself was one of the greatest rebels against God, against God's order. And God's plan. He hated the church with a passion until he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And suddenly he became one of the greatest ambassadors that God ever had on the face of the earth. Isn't it great when you hear a great testimony of somebody's life who was radically changed? So we are declared peace with God. We are declared the war is over. Be reconciled to God. That's what our message is. Hold forth the word of life. And finally, the motivation of an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. That's our motivation. We do it for Christ's sake. We do it because we love the Lord and we want others to love him and to know him and come into his family and be part of his kingdom. But 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and 10, the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
And so we have that responsibility and we're accountable to God for it. And one day, and it's a scary thought, isn't it? One day we will have to stand before Christ and give an account of what we have done for his kingdom and for God's Son himself, what we have done since the day and the hour we get saved. And that will determine what rewards, if any, that we will receive. It's not going to determine whether we're going to be in heaven or not. That's already determined. The unsaved will stand at the great white throne of judgment, not to see whether they get in, but to tell them why they're not in and why they're going to lost eternity. But we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're just about almost finished here. Verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Paul loved to mix his metaphors, didn't he? According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds in it, but let each one take heed how he builds in it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than what which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds in this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, or wood, or hay, or straw. Each one's work will become clear for the day, that day I'm talking about, for the day will declare it. Because it has been revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as by fire. And so, the love of Christ compels us, the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, the pleasing of the Lord constrains us. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Yes, I know that in Christ, God is pleased with us. But that doesn't stop us wanting to please him. A child wants to please its parent. It knows that its parent loves it, but it wants to please the parent, to please mommy, to please daddy. And we want to please our Lord. And we want to serve him and know him and love him and share him and all of that pleases him. Glory to God. And so Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. So don't let where you are dictate who you are. You'll find yourself sometimes in difficult situations, tricky places, places you never maybe ever thought you would be in. And in those moments, don't let that dictate who you are. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. No matter what is going on around you, you are his ambassador. And the world will be watching us in those situations. Whenever everything's wonderful and it's well, the world looks at us and they don't think a thing about it. But when something goes wrong, then they look at us. And that's the time to remember I'm an ambassador for Christ. And how I handle this and how I get through this and how I do this will be a reflection in my Lord. So that's why I'm an ambassador. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, you have given us a tremendous position and a tremendous responsibility. You have made us your ambassadors. So our lives reflect and represent you. So help us, Lord, to do everything in our power to be the best ambassadors that we can be for you. Because we realize the world doesn't read its Bible, but it reads us. If it's going to know Christ, it's going to know it through us. If it's going to see Jesus, it's going to be in us. So help us, Lord, to remember this and to do this and to be this for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, as we go into a new week this week, as we go to our workplaces and our schools and whatever we do, Lord, we just pray that our light will shine. And those that watch us and listen to us, Lord, will see something of the Savior in our lives. Help us to be great ambassadors for you. Help us, Lord, to know that wherever situation we're in, we're not changed. We are who we are in Christ Jesus. So we give you thanks and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.